Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Um, Today's interview is with a guy who started his company with two college friends while he was still at school. It was the summer of 2012, and LinkedIn had just been hacked and passwords for over 6.5 million users had been stolen. My guest had this idea. What if you could come up with a better way to secure passwords by using people's mobile phones? Now, it seemed a little bit of a crazy idea at the time, but he and his buddies got to work building the product. And fast forward three years, they've now got over 124,000 websites using their solution, and they've raised over $3 million in funding. You're going to hear the story on how these guys took an idea and turned it into a business, and we're going to chat about some of the challenges they've had to face along the way. What I really like about this interview is seeing a 24-year-old CEO who's really taking a very mature approach to building a long-term business. We look at what he's doing to build a great company culture and place where people really want to work. Now, they're a team of less than 10 people right now, but he's doing a lot of really smart things, which I think will help them to avoid a lot of growing pains in the coming years as they start to hire more people. So lots of really valuable lessons here, and uh, I hope you enjoy this interview. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Clef, a service that provides secure two-factor authentication without passwords or tokens. You just hold up your phone in front of any computer in the world and Clef will instantly log you in. The company is based in Oakland, California, and it was founded in 2013 and to date has raised just over $3.1 million in funding. So today I'd like to welcome Brennan Byrne. Brennan, or I should say B, welcome to the show. (laughs) Hey, Omer. Glad to be here. So I was a little confused. I, I, I went to the your website, getclef.com. I watched the video and um, uh, I, you know, I listened to the woman with the English accent and right. I was like, is this, is this a British company? And then, <laughs> and then I kind of dug into it and it was like, um, you know, you're, you're originally from Alabama yeah. and then you guys are based in Oakland. So there's all these different sort of ingredients sort of coming into play. But how did you end up in, in Oakland? Uh, so we ended up in Oakland. I, I, Left Alabama and went to school in outside of LA, uh, Pomona College, which is little. And uh, after school, got sort of the startup bug and moved to San Francisco. And that's actually when we started working on Clef uh, for the first time. And um, then, you know, sort of being in San Francisco and getting to like be a part of the technology scene there. Uh, I had a, a little bit of startup fatigue. Uh, I felt like every time I went out or went to a bar or sort of any time I was trying to not be working, uh, I would end up around other people who were all doing startups right. and were asking work questions. And so I found myself self spending all of my free time in Oakland and just got to know some of the communities over here and sort of like the awesome stuff that's happening in this city uh, and was increasingly drawn to it. And so when my two co-founders at Clef, Mark and Jesse, uh, moved to the Bay and joined me, I, uh, I insisted we set up shop in Oakland. And so we've been here since, and it's been great. So Oakland, from what I know, didn't have a great reputation some time ago, but it's, it's quite a happening 
place these days, right? Yeah, I think that Oakland is a city that's got like this super interesting history, um, both on, you know, if you watch the sort of economics, there was this period where they were building all of the boats for a World War II, and there was this big boom and a lot of sort of industry in the city. But then after World War II, all of that business left, and there was very, like the economy of the city took this steep downturn that took a very long time to recover from. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it has this great history of community activism and support. It was the home of the Black Panther movement. You know, there's been so much rich cultural stuff coming out of this city. Uh, but I, I do think it gets the reputation for the sort of economy more than anything else. But um, yeah, it, it's a really cool, cool place to be. That's great. So what what gets you out of bed in the morning? What what drives you to do what you do? Yeah. That's, an interesting question. The thing that I, uh, you know, I have a bunch of friends who call me and say things like, I want to start a company. Uh, and I always say, why? Like, why would you do that to yourself? It's so, so much work. <laughs> um, and they invariably say like, well, you do it. Like, why are you doing it? And, and I always respond with the fact that, uh, I have never learned faster in my life. Um, I have this feeling that, uh, doing clef, working on a problem like this, there are no limits, like there are no rules about what I can do to succeed you know, within the realm of what's legal. And every time I work a little harder or try something a little bit further out there, I get rewarded for that so much. So the things that are getting the thing that's getting me out of the bed in the morning right now is just how quickly I'm improving both as a human and at my job running this company. I like that. I, I'm a very learning oriented person as well. So it kind of, that's something that resonates with me very, you know, pretty well. Hey, so before we get into sort of telling your story, it'd be great if you could, in your own words, um, explain a little bit more about Clef. So I kind of explained that, you know, you can kind of hold up your phone in front of the computer and it sort of instantly logs you in. Um, but tell us a little bit about What's happening in the back end when when somebody is 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 doing that? Yeah, um, so maybe it's useful for me to give even one more step of context than that, um, which is that our goal with Clef is to replace passwords, uh, and that's sort of an urgent thing that needs to happen in the next five years, whether or not Clef is the company that does it. Um, the sort of existing security infrastructure around passwords is just crumbling. And the uh, expensiveness of that infrastructure failing is getting is growing quickly. So the things like the Ashley Madison breach, the Home Depot breach, the Sony breach, those are all password-based failures that are costing huge, huge sums of money. Um, and more than like just security and money of those companies, it's also increasingly frustrating for people. You know, when I had to remember five passwords and they could be, you know, my dog's name without any numbers, that was one thing. But now I have 100 passwords or 200 passwords and they're all supposed to be different and they've all got these weird requirements. And it's just a, like, a not scalable solution. We can't just make more complicated passwords uh, that are more different. And yep. so what we sort of have done is developers and sort of engineers abandoned passwords as a way of logging in to most important things about 20 years ago. 
uh, and started using SSH and these sort of cryptography-based logins. Uh, but that hasn't come to the rest of the world. And what we wanted to do was take the exact same cryptography, the same tool that sort of tried and tested among technical folks, and make it easy enough for everyone else to use. So um, for anyone who's technical, uh, Clef works just like SSH, um, which is to say that we are doing this sort of uh, key handshake thing. And the big benefit of that, like the, the sort of TLDR of why that's useful is that Clef doesn't have to store anything about the user that could be stolen. So if our database got breached and someone looked at everything we had, there's nothing in there that is really important. And also, every time a user logs in, uh, it, if someone were to intercept that message and read it, there's nothing valuable in that either. So um, the main vectors of attack, which are intercepting messages or breaching databases, just don't work against these systems. And so that's like the really big security benefit of using Clef. At the same time, by getting rid of passwords, we get to make the experience of logging in a lot easier for people and a lot uh, nicer. And uh, that's, you know, when we talk to people about what we do, I would say the vast majority of the sale is, hey, we're going to make your life easier. And then as a footnote, by the way, this is also much, much more secure. Got it. Um how did you come up with the idea for this business? Um, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, I was at Adobe in 2011, right after Steve Jobs wrote the letter saying that Flash would never be on an iPhone. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a pretty dramatic <laughs> thing. He published it on Apple.com. Uh, what a lot of people didn't consider at the time was that Adobe had just bought Omniture for... Uh, between one and two billion dollars, and Omniture was an analytics platform that was based entirely around tracking people on with Flash. And so, uh, without Flash going to mobile, it was like a huge, uh, like existential concern for the company. And so, uh, I was on the strategic alliances team, and what we were trying to do was to prove to some of our big customers that. Uh, Adobe would still be able to provide value for them even without Flash. So I built about 100 different demos over the course of several months showing that uh, we were going to be able to know who people were on their phone without Flash being the method of doing that. And I think that you know today we look at it and it's obvious that cookies ended up being a cross-platform solution that worked pretty well for that. But at the time we were trying device fingerprinting and Wi-Fi, like router uh, memory and all these different things that we could do to remember who a person was. Uh, And as I was working on this project, uh, LinkedIn had their password breach, which today looking back is nothing, but at the time was the biggest breach in history. Uh, And it just seemed obvious to me that we would be using our phones to do the sort of login that uh, I was used to using as a developer. But... um, as I waited for that to come, you know, I kept thinking like, oh, the next iPhone will let me use it to log into my Mac. But uh, it kept not happening. And so I decided to build it. So, okay, so you, you had the idea and um, your two co-founders, Mark and Jesse, is that right? Yep, that's right. So, so you guys got together and said, okay, we're going to go and build this thing. Um, did Was this something that you thought of at that point as, as 
okay, we're going to build a business. We're going to go and get some funding. Or was it more like, hey, let's get together and and let's geek out on building some some technology here? Yeah, it definitely started as the geeking out kind of thing. Uh, Mark and I first started tinkering with it, and I was just like, I have this sort of idea. I don't know if it would work, but let's play around with it and see. And um, as it started to sort of take shape, um, I had been working with Jesse on some other projects and was really impressed with him. And uh, I started lobbying to get him to join the team. Uh, and eventually I succeeded. And uh, it after he joined, it sort of became a more serious thing. And we started sort of uh, moving it towards a business. Um, did you l- look for funding uh sort of right away or, or did that happen later on in, in the journey? Um, pretty quickly, we started to try to assess funding. It was our first time as founders for all of us. Uh, and so as we, you know, started working on Clef full time, we went, went to assess like what was available to us. And I would say that pretty quickly realized that the stage where the product was at and who like where we were, we weren't going to be able to raise a big round. And so we raised a little bit of money from friends and family first to sort of power us through um, the beginning of building it. And then it wasn't until about a year after that, that we ended up raising our seed round. When you raised uh, money from friends and family, what did you spend that money on? Almost entirely food and lodgings for founders. <laughs> okay, so it was just to keep, um, just to kind of pay the bills and keep you guys going, right? Keep okay. the lights on. Yeah, uh, we raised about one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy-five k from friends and family. Uh, so there were other things that that money, like you know, we spent money on servers. We ended up having an office that was separate from the house we were living in. We had some help doing PR stuff for a couple of months. You know, there were there were definitely a few other things we spent money on, but the vast majority of that was going towards keeping us working. Okay. Now, from what I understand, 2014 was a big year for you that you guys started with uh, a relatively small number of users uh, or customers. Well, let's call them users. I don't know if they were all, what what the financials were behind there, but, um, and by the end of the year, that, that number was well over what, a hundred thousand. Right. Yeah. So t- tell us a little bit about what happened during that year that drove the growth for you guys. What were you guys doing? Yeah. So we had tried a bunch of different things to sort of cheat growth. Um, the most interesting challenge about Clef is that if you go download the app today, uh, you may not have any websites where you can log in with it because the websites have to decide to accept it. Um, but for a website to decide to accept it, they want customers to already have it. So there's a chicken and egg mm-hmm. problem of a sort of two-sided market. And um, we tried a bunch of different things to try to like cheat that and bootstrap it. And I think all of those things ended up playing a role in the eventual tipping point. Uh, you know, at some at some number of people with the app installed, it became more appealing for other folks to use it. But um, you know, I think the process for us was very much like we had like in tw- we didn't raise our seed round until the end of 2014. So during that 
year, it was very much just us with our heads down trying to listen and improve the product. And we had the real belief that if the product was good enough, people would use it. Um, and, you know, I, I think part of that is naive. Like we, we really had the fallacy. And at the beginning, I think it was like a major mistake that if we built something great that users would come. Um, and we definitely stopped, you know, sort of relying only on product. But still, our thesis was, you know, the, the operating thought at the time was we have to get the product good enough for people to really want it. And then we also need to be like talking to the people who would want it to figure that out and so that they will use it when it's ready. Over the course of 2014, you know, uh, December 2013, there was a New York Times piece that was really flattering about Clef. Uh, used the word magical to describe the process, which is like sort of one of those buzzwords that Steve Jobs used, so it means a lot. And that sort of that that was the thing that kicked the snowball a little bit. And then uh, 2014, we were just trying to keep listening and um, improving the product and. You know, it was moving through word of mouth. So uh, I went to a lot of events uh, among people who are our users and sort of got to know people because trust is so important for our product. But otherwise, it was spreading entirely through word of mouth and just because we were so focused on the product. Do you know how that um, the New York Times article came about? Were you pitching to those guys or or did somebody there just come across cliff and decide to write about it yeah it's actually a pretty funny story well we we had done a big press push in the summer before uh, around a thing we called the petition against passwords which was uh something that we made up and got a bunch of other companies to sign on to and at that when we did the petition against passwords we got in touch with several reporters at the new york times who were like lightly interested, but who didn't end up writing about it. And a couple of months later, when we were releasing some new features for Clef, we reached back out to them. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure, come talk to us. We were like really surprised that it happened. <laughs> and the, the sort of positiveness of the review also was like, surprising to us. We were, we were really, really excited at the time. Um, so, so it happened that, because we had reached out previously about that petition against passwords, which was like a very like uh, manufactured stunt. That was like the first thing we did that got anyone to pay any attention to us. And um, okay, so the the article gets published, and what happened? Did did you start to see a spike in signups almost the next day? No, so actually the article happened and we got a big burst of traffic, but very few of those people signed up. Uh, but what happened, and it took about a month, there was about a month gap, but what happened was all of a sudden we had credibility. Like we had gone from like this weird, goofy thing that maybe was interesting or like a cool demo to now like we had some badge that said someone could trust us and that if they really wanted to use a tool like ours, it wouldn't be like frivolous. Uh, we weren't we weren't like a fly by night organization anymore. I mean, honestly, we still were, but uh, it didn't seem like we were to the outside world <laughs> yeah. anymore. Uh, so I think that's the the the. It took about a month before that sort of credibility stuff started hitting it, setting in, and then all of a sudden we just found people taking us much more seriously. Um, people started using the product, and like 
they had like a a reference point to tell other people about it. You're like, oh, there's this really cool thing that I've been using. You should read this article in the New York Times about it. Uh, and it just like it was the the nudge we needed to get the ball rolling because once people liked it and could talk about it, there was just a lot more room for us to succeed. Yeah, yeah. I would say in this space where you are dealing with authentication, trust is huge, right? I mean, if there's any question about um, you know your credibility then that that really is it can be hugely damaging to to the business um absolutely it's interesting i i think using the mo- mobile two factor authentication and 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 i love the concept of, of clef um what happens in situations if somebody forgets their phone yeah so the the real challenge with any form of two factor auth today is that if you don't have your phone with you you can't log in and that's true for Clef as well as every other two-factor solution. And so one of the things we're banking on sort of as we build our business is that our phones become increasingly important and ubiquitous. You know, uh, if battery life doesn't ever improve, then you know, that is a barrier to everyone using it all the time. But we're betting on the fact that our phones are going to keep getting better and more important. And, you know, they may end up looking like watches or things on our face or something under our skin even, but uh, that belief that sort of our mobile devices are going to become increasingly critical parts of our lives yeah. is a, a bet I'm happy to make. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think the the uh, uh, the mobile device, I think, is is becoming more and more ubiquitous and, and, you know, all over the world, not just, you know, in the Valley or right. in the Seattle area or somewhere like that. So, um and and I think that you know I mean personally for me I I carry my iPhone everywhere and and now that when you start using things like Apple Pay and and using the Starbucks app to buy your coffee, um, it, it kind of becomes more and more critical. And it was funny because I was in in a Starbucks the other night and um, uh, I I kind of parked up, went inside, ordered, and I was like, oh you know what, I'm sorry I forgot my phone. And and it was just funny because, you know, a year ago it would have been, oh, I forgot my wallet. But now it almost seemed like right. the wallet wasn't that important, right? Everything's happening on the phone. Um, okay, so so you, the New York Times article kind of gave you the momentum and, and sort of the breakthrough. Um, but I'm sure it wasn't all smooth sailing. So give me one example of a, a challenge or a difficult time that you guys faced and uh, either in terms of growing the business or maybe some technical challenges and, and you know, what was going on? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that in general, it's never easy. You know, the, the, the thing I've found most true about startups is that every time I solve a problem I think is unsolvable, I am presented with two more that are harder. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so, like that uh, Medusa kind of thing, right? You cut off the dragon's head, and like two appear or something. It's like, right, absolutely. Um, and I've used the metaphor a lot that um, we, before we got sort of traction, it felt like we were pushing a ball up a hill, and it was heavy boulder, and we were working so hard to get every inch, you know. And and we knew that if we could get to a certain point, it would tip and start rolling the other way without us pushing. And we just needed to get there. 
And in that metaphor, it seems like, okay, you get to the top of the hill, it starts rolling, and everything gets easier, um, which uh, it did get easier for us to sign up people. Like a lot of people sign up for Clef every day, and a lot of new sites add Clef every day. But then our challenge became, how do we keep up with that ball as it is rolling increasingly quickly? It's going to go smash into a village, and we have to push <laughs> it out of the way. You know, we have to, like, we're responsible for this thing now, and if it does damage like we we're in trouble so now it's rolling and we have to catch up and that that's even harder you know and and it seems like oh all the work was pushing it up the hill but uh that hasn't ended up being the case so i think that there have been a couple of things that have been uh sort of like really panicky moments for us uh we had a customer launch clef on their site and then uh, have their site go down immediately just because a bunch of like our users went to go log in to Clef. Like we we like sent an email to our users being like, hey, go try it out at this new website. Right. Email crash or their website crashed. Um, this uh, the company I'm thinking about in particular was in Hong Kong, and so their their developers were all asleep. All our users were upset and Ouch. like, why are why are you sending us a link that's going to a dead website? Um. There's also just been, you know, like we got a lot of users from like the way we've grown is to go into specific communities and sort of earn the trust of the people in those communities uh, and then sort of uh, grow in grow uh, in small circles as opposed to trying to sort of hit a really broad audience and uh, be shallower. So we've gone deeper in small groups. And every time we switch groups, which has happened twice now, so both times we've switched groups, um, there's a huge learning curve all over again. So it's back to pushing the rock up the hill. And we've, we've gotten a sort of model for it. We know how much time it takes. We know sort of the steps we need to do. But it still is uh, like when, when you're chasing the ball and then you have to go back to pushing it up the hill, uh, it can feel... Uh, endless or very exhausting. So it certainly has never been easy. Um, and I think that the, the, the challenges just keep, keep escalating. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you, let me just sort of understand the way you talked about these smaller groups. You, you looked at your market, you basically found, uh, I guess, niches within that market and then decided to tackle one of those at a time so you could go deep enough, you could understand what the requirements of the, each of those groups was. Um, you had the, it was probably more manageable as well for you guys to be able to onboard new customers that way before you started talking about looking at something else. And and w- was that a deliberate thing that you guys did or was that something you learned along the way? Because one thing I often see with people is that they, they it almost seems like counterintuitive they don't want to do that right i mean it seems like surely if i kind of go after the bigger market and bigger reach then i'm going to have more i'm I'm likely to have more luck and more customers yeah i i think that it's a, a decision that a lot of people have to make like whether they want to try to boil the ocean at once or to start with a small segment that they can make really happy for clef in particular um our product lends itself very heavily to density in a network. The more websites that you can log into with Clef in your daily life, the more useful the tool is. 
if, it, if you use it on one website, it's cool. Mm-hmm. If you use it on five, it changes your whole day. And so what we wanted to do was to find a group of people where we could get it on five websites they used every day for a lot of them before we tried to get it on to a group that was five times as big once a day. Um, and so that's what we've done is try to find a cluster of websites that all share a very similar user base and make sure that we serve them really well. And that we get to know them, that we get to know their customers, that we get to know their needs. And then we're able to sign them all up and their customers just become like these incredibly loyal fans of Clef because they're not just seeing us like, oh, hey, like one website I use is trying this new thing. We are sort of a pervasive thing for them. And that means that, you know, uh, it's much less likely when I meet someone new that they will have heard of Clef or you can use it on one website, but that the people who do use Clef get to use it in a lot of places and really love it. Yeah. Uh, how, how, what's the size of the team? How many people do you have working there now? Uh, there are eight of us. So it's eight. actually seven, but our eighth is starting today. Nice. I'm going to go <laughs> pick him up from the airport. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't start work today, but he's arriving today. So That's eight. cool. So from what I understand, um, you, the three of you, the three uh, founders we're all sort of focusing on the sort of the technical aspects of the business. And then at one point um, you realized there was actually other stuff to do and sort of a business focus and a company focus. And then you kind of stepped up and took on the CEO role. Um, right. And, and, you know, I, I, I read somewhere about the stuff that you had been doing around um, creating the right kind of culture and thinking about values and and stuff like that, and I, I, that really impressed me because, you know, I mean, you're you're, are you still twenty four or twenty five? I am twenty four. Twenty four, and I, I don't mean this to sound patronizing, but it's like it's not something you expect from a twenty four year old to be thinking about those <laughs> kinds of things, and you know, it really impressed me and. Uh, I just wondered, like, what was sort of the driver behind that? What, why, why did that sort of become important to you? Was that because you were seeing issues or um, it was just something that you felt was uh, something that needed to be done? Yeah. So, first of all, thank you. Um, I think that part of it is that, well, I'll say that, so when we decided, we all started, we were engineers. And I was the worst engineer. And so <laughs> when we needed someone to do everything else, I volunteered because I was like, well, I'm the least, will miss me doing engineering the least, <laughs> um, which I think has been a, a good decision for all of us. Um, and uh, we had been working as founders on like Clef stuff and not full-time, but Clef related stuff for two years before we hired uh, our first full-time employee, which is Daryl, who does business development for us. Um, and when we decided to hire someone, I had no idea what to do. You know, <laughs> I had no idea what the right process for hiring someone was because um, I hadn't done it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was reading a lot online and paying attention to a lot of people who were critical of the sort of norms uh, in the valley. And I went to our lawyers and I said, like, okay, like, what, what do I do to, like, make a good hiring process and then to build a good culture? And they were like, well, here's the handbook that we give everyone. Like, here, here's the one. And, 
I started looking at it and I was like, I don't understand what any of this means. Like, I'm not a lawyer and it's like impossible for me to read. And they were like, yeah, but that's how handbooks are. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, but I don't, I don't want that. Uh, And they were like, well, you could write your own, but it's going to be a huge amount of work. And so I went and I searched and I started asking friends and other founders, like what they were doing about their handbooks and like, what was the, like, how were people solving this problem? And the answer I kept getting was like, oh, we don't know. We just like don't do much. And a couple of companies had written their own handbooks, but they were really big companies and it was still like a intimidating process. And so I started writing ours uh, on my own and I enlisted a bunch of help. I got uh, people who I respected a ton and whose opinion I liked um, to help contribute and sort of consult on the handbook. And over the course of almost a whole year, like from the day we raised the money and decided to hire someone until uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, I was working and writing these policies and I sort of did them one by one. And I did a lot of research into, you know, what is the right way to have a hiring process? What is interviewing uh, best practices? What are the different things people are talking about? And then, you know, working with an HR lawyer to make sure that everything I wrote was compliant, but also still like readable and approachable. Uh, and through most of that process, I had the thought of like, I just want to get this right for Clef um, because I think that uh, it's really hard to correct later in a company's history. And I want to do it right from the start. And also, like, I know so little about each of these things that learning about them and writing about them was helpful for me to figure out how I could be how I could run Clef well. Um, But as I got through the process and started talking about it with other founder friends, they kept being like, can I see that? Like, I want that. And so uh, I decided to open source it, which is like a little bit weird because there's stuff about like our salaries and things like that, that are uncomfortable to make public. But uh, it's been really awesome to have it out in the world just because I think it is a resource that a lot of people want or like people have a lot of questions about what it's like to work at a startup or how startups run. And that's pretty opaque normally, but we we've sort of uh, made a foundation on which other people can build. And, you know, there's no company that should run exactly like Clef. No one should take our policies exactly, but uh, it's a, a better starting point than I think existed before we published it, which uh, I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's not just the 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 process of writing something down. I think, but more importantly, I think the process that you've gone through has has probably helped you to actually implement that, right? And actually turn it into something that people that you hire can kind of see, and 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 it's something that you guys as founders start to sort of, uh, you know walk the talk as opposed to, I mean, most handbooks are written and, and nobody reads them, right? So they're kind of right. completely ignored. It's, it's more about, can you actually implement that and create that culture within your organization? Totally. I think that's very true. And a part of that is that like, we're very invested in it. You know, like we, the, none of these policies is like something that we were told to do. Each of these things is something we decided we wanted to do. Uh, so there's like, there's some buy-in there. There's also a sense of like, once it's written down, we can argue about it. You know, once we've published it, someone can say we're doing it wrong and we can like have a debate, 
Whereas as long as it's sort of unsaid or in the ether or sort of uh, just habit, it's really hard for us to argue whether it's right or wrong or whether we should change it. And I don't think that we follow all of our policies to a T. You know, there are several things that, you know, the policy is a half step out of uh, how we actually practice things. But when that happens, we can all say to each other, like, hey, our policy says we do X, but we're actually doing Y. Why is there a difference? And should we change the policy or should we change the way we act? Mm -hmm. And that's been really, really useful for us. Yeah. Uh, what do your hiring plans sort of look like over the next year? Do you, you, are you planning to – actually, you have, you have a few open positions that I think I saw on the site, right? So you're still hiring. Oh, we do. We're still hiring uh, engineers right now, uh, senior web engineer uh, and mobile engineer. Um, but yeah, we're, we'll be hiring a bunch over the next year. Uh, and I, I think that one great thing about the handbook has been that it is like a real differentiator for us, like in the hiring process. Like I think that when people look at early stage companies, it's very hard to get a sense for like, will this be a culture that I fit in with? Um, and we've like made a very clear statement of like, this is our culture. And if you want to work at a place like this, um, we're, we're going to be that kind of place. Yeah. Um, so that's been like a really great bonus. I would say that, uh, a huge number of our sort of a huge amount of our pipeline right now of candidates is coming from people who are looking at things we're writing in the handbook and elsewhere and saying like, that sounds like the kind of company I want to work for. Uh, and also your product is really awesome, but, uh, yeah. it's, it's been really interesting. Now that's a really good point because w when people think about, is that the kind of culture that I, I can kind of fit into or, or want to work in? And, and, and that's a really difficult question to answer because a lot of the times people working in those in those businesses can't tell you what the culture is, right? It kind of just, right. ha it happens by accident and it just evolves. And, um, and so I think the way, the fact that you have been very deliberate about that and very transparent, um, is huge. And I think there's, I, I, I love hearing that you kind of, kind of went open source with that because I think that's the kind of resource that could be incredibly valuable for a lot of other startups and, and helping them to kind of think more about, the, that aspect of running their business and, and hiring. Um, right. So that's great. great. I, I, th I absolutely, I think that HR is an afterthought for almost every startup because it's a thing that like when you know everyone and you're all, uh, friends, it's easy to not worry about the details of that stuff. But, um, it also means that a lot of founders don't learn about it until pretty late in the, the game of starting a company. And I think it's all really important uh, to building a great company. So, um, I'm really, I'm, it's been awesome for me to learn about and get, uh, get informed about, but it's also, I, I hope a useful resources for a useful resource for other people to, to learn some. Yeah. I, I'm going to, uh, include a link in the show notes to this so people can go and check that out. And, uh, great. Uh, yeah. My hat, my hat off to you, man. That's, that's very impressive. All right, Thanks. it's uh, time for our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you Great. a series of questions and uh, just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Ready? I can do that. Yep. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? 
Um, someone told me that startups die for two reasons. Uh, they either run out of money or the founders kill each other. Uh, <laughs> not literally, but the it's either founder breakup or running out of money. And that if we could avoid those two things, our startup would be successful. I think that's very true and uh, good advice. Most useful. Yeah. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Mm, I just read Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull about uh, running Pixar and just has radically changed my perspective on management. I'm a pretty new manager and learning a lot, but uh, I think he it's a phenomenal book uh, about particularly inspiring creativity in the people you work with. That's funny. I just started reading that book too, and I, I think nice. Pixar is just such a... I mean, they're not that far from you, right? No, they're in Emeryville. They're really close. And I, uh, I've been on the campus. It's beautiful. I, I have a big company crush on Pixar. Yeah, I think it's a really, really creative company. All right. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Um, in line with that first answer, I think probably the thing that I, I think most correlates with being successful at startups is persistence. Um, it startups are more failures than successes by a very wide margin. And the, 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 there are a lot of different qualities which are successful for different products, but I think that just continuing to learn and do the same thing over and over again, uh, is super valuable. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Um, I get an email every morning from my calendar with a summary of everything I'm going to do in the day. And it is absolutely integral to my ability to function. If I didn't get that email, I would just not even be a useful person. So that's it's like the thing for me. Every morning I wake up to an email that I look at. It tells me my day. Is that just like a, a Google Calendar type notification or is that something else you use? Yeah, it's just Google Calendar doing the notification, but it took me a long time to figure out that I needed it. <laughs> and once I changed, I added it, it was just like, oh, now I know what I'm doing every day. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that means you also have to keep your calendar up to date and, and kind of use right. that to plan your day and stuff like that's that. True. That's true. That's great. I, yeah. I live and die by my calendar. So uh, it's, that's, that's easy to do for me, yeah. but definitely a necess- necessary part of that tool. That's a great one. It's, it's, a, it's a very simple sort of habit, but it's a, I think it's a very, very powerful one. Um, what's a, a new business idea or a crazy idea that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Um, I have a bunch of friends and I, working on it. I'm really interested in virtual reality. Um, I think that right now a lot of people are making games, which is just about the most boring thing I can imagine <laughs> doing with virtual reality. Um, and I just, I'm so excited about some of the things that are going to happen there. So if I wasn't working on this, I think I'd probably be doing something related to that. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, the one I usually use here, you already gave away, which is that I grew up in Alabama. Uh, it's such a novelty on the West Coast. <laughs> um, I also have a tattoo from the um, movie or from the TV show Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm a really big fan of. Wow. So. That's, a, that's, that's something that most people don't know about me. <laughs> I'm not going to ask where the tattoo is, but we'll just keep going. Um, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, the thing I spend, like, the, the thing I'm most emotionally invested in outside of Clef is really is Oakland, the city. I spend a lot of time 
working on thinking about city sort of politics development, uh, how how the tech industry is going to affect the city as it grows. Um, I really, really love the city and uh, care a lot about it. Awesome. B, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, it's it's uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I, I think I, I've learned a lot more uh, from this conversation than maybe I thought I was going to. Um, uh, just You just have a lot of, I don't know, just if, if I didn't know your age, I would be thinking, you know, I'm talking to a guy who maybe has a lot more experience, right? Well, thank so, you. So it's, it. it's great. Um, now, if folks want to find out more about GetClef or Clef, they can go to getclef.com. Yep. Um, and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Twitter is where I'm most active. Uh, so at Brennan Byrne is probably best. Awesome. Thanks again, man. And uh, I wish you all the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure. Take care.